Tonight, saints, if you would open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, Zechariah. And, and uh, if you don't know where Zechariah is, just go to Matthew, back up to, you'll find yourself there in Zechariah. And once you find yourself in Zechariah, just go to last chapter, chapter 14. So our text this morning is Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. And um, next, um, this Wednesday, we'll be covering 3 John, the epistle, and the next Sunday we'll be looking at 3 John, then we'll come back and we'll be dealing with the book of Malachi. So, and after that, then we'll have finished up the scriptures, um, every verse, every book, every chapter for the second time around. So, um, then we just, let's just jump back into it. Um, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, makes this declaration. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and his name is one. The Amplified Bible writes it a little bit different. It makes a statement, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and that day the Lord shall be one. And then it makes this clarification in recognition and in the worship of men. So when it says the Lord will be one, the Lord shall be one in the recognition and the worship of men and his name one. In other words, his will be the only recognized name of authority and worship. As we go through this passage, we begin to see here that it makes that he's going to be king over all the earth. That is who he is. That is what he's going to do. And the world will recognize Jesus is king. There's not going to be anyone who doesn't. And that's why it says this is so beautiful in that day, that it's going to happen in that day. The Lord is one and his name is one. He will be recognized. Now, as we see this, keep in mind that the context where it declares about in that day the Lord is going to be king over all the earth. Back up to one verse and, and look at Zechariah 14, verse 8. In that day, it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, half of them towards the western sea, both in the summer and winter it shall occur. We're seeing that the living waters, that water that brings life to the nations, that water is going to flow from Jerusalem. And what we begin to see here when it says the Lord shall be king over all the earth, we recognize one thing, that Jerusalem is going to be a place that God says, oh, I'm dwelling there. This is where I'm hanging out. Now, he's king over all the earth. But in the same way as the president is president over the country, he dwells there in Washington, D.C., as Jesus is king over all the earth, he's going to be setting up his residence. His home will be there in Jerusalem. We recognize, and it's so important to realize, that here these living waters are going to flow from Jerusalem, and God is going to allow this place where he's at to bring healing, to bring refreshing, to bring life to all. Another passage that you might want to be aware of is this. In Zechariah, back up a couple of chapters to chapter 8. Now, when we were there on, in Zechariah 8, we looked at the first three verses, 
And I want to share those verses with you again. It says very simply, again, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. And he makes this statement in verse 2. He says, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. I want you to understand God wants to be there in Jerusalem. Jesus wants this to be his home. And we see here that he says, I'm zealous. I'm zealous for Zion with a great zeal. I'm in love with, with Jerusalem with a great love. He's passionate for this city. And he makes that statement in verse 3 of Zechariah. I'm going to return there. I'm going to dwell in the midst. And Jerusalem is going to be known as, as basically the city of truth, the city where, where I abide. And how beautiful is it going to be where it's known as the mountain of the Lord of hosts? Now, if we had a choice to go through any psalm on Sunday during our psalm readings, I think I would have chose for this morning Psalm 132. Oh, yeah, that just happened to be our reading. And when we were going through that psalm, keep in mind that as we read in verse 13, the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever, he declares, and I will dwell for I have desired it. This is God. He, he says, I want to set up my home here in Jerusalem. He has put his mark on this city. He's set up his temple in this city but keep in mind that Jerusalem is going to be the center of worship. Now, it is going to be the center of worship, not because the temple is there. It is going to be the, the center of worship because Jesus is there. I want to share with you two things. One, you know that there is going to be another temple built. Jerusalem is going to be established. It has been where the temple has been built and it has been established. But eventually what we're going to see is this. With the new heavens and the new earth there in Revelation chapter 21 verse 22, jot it down for you note takers. He says this, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God almighty and the Lamb are its temple. See, there's going to be a point where that word that Jesus had spoken to that woman there at the well of Samaria. Remember the discussion that he had with her there in John chapter 4. And as he was having that discussion with her, eventually she comes up with this saying in John 4 verse 20. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Well, Jesus in verse 21 said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship 
We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. See, Jesus sets up his home in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is going to be a place where people want to go and, and see the Lord, worship the Lord, focus on the Lord. But I do want you to recognize that although here in Zechariah he says, yeah, he's the God over all the earth, and he is. He's the king over all the earth. The Lord shall be king. Now he is, he just hasn't you know, stepped up and said, now you will, everyone will recognize me. There will come that time. But we do see here that the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And all are going to recognize him. What Zechariah is doing is honestly showing a fulfillment of when the very first commandment is established. Now, for those of you that understand the Ten Commandments, it makes this statement. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20. And initially what happens is this. It simply says that God speaks all the words there in Exodus 20 verse 1. It, the Ten Commandments are known as the Decalogue. They're, they're known as the, the, the Ten Words, the Ten Sayings. God uses, he calls them commandments. If you want an in-depth study of the Ten Commandments, I would recommend just going to the, the, the website or go to the, the past. We've just finished the Ten Commandments on Monday night with the Upper Room, and we just had ten weeks of just looking at Ten Commandments. But the very first commandment was this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and you shall have no other gods before me. I'm God. I'm the only one. And you can't have anyone else. And I think this is important when he makes that statement. He said the Lord is going to be king over all the earth. He's king. Only he's king. No one else. And when God recognizes that he's God, I think it's important for us to realize that he says this. He says, I am the Lord your God, period. Just period. He doesn't say, I'm the Lord your God on Sunday morning. <laughs> it's like, okay, on Sunday morning, I'll come and I'll worship. You know, I'm, I'm the Lord your God, period. I am the Lord your God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I am the Lord your God. That, that's just it. So you don't get to pick and choose when he's Lord. You don't get to pick and choose when, as a king, he has authority. He's 24-7. And I think it's important to realize that he makes this statement. He says, I am the Lord your God. And then he says this. It's so important that, that you know, recognize you shall have no other gods. There's only one authority in your life. And when God makes a statement, he says, I am the Lord your God, keep in mind that, that he has given us his mind, he's given us his heart, he's given us the word of God. As he's given us his word, he's given us his heart and his mind through this word, the word then becomes my process of thinking, and it becomes my direction for living life. Because he's God, he's king, he's authority. And as we look to this, I think it's important that God and his word becomes, in a sense, my culture. 
It becomes the pattern in which I live. I don't look to the culture on the outside. I look to this word to become my culture. I look to this word to become my pattern. This is what I begin to follow, not not the world. And I think it's important to, to recognize that he does make this statement. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Something that God makes a statement. He says, I'm God. He says, I just brought you out. I've delivered you from this area of Egypt. I'm going to bring you into the land of Canaan. And I want you to recognize that he's saying in the middle of this, in the desert, when he gives them this this decalogue, when he gives them the Ten Commandments, he's saying, listen, I brought you out of Egypt. Remember all the gods and all the ways that they worshipped in Egypt? Don't do that. Then when you go into Canaan, you're going to see a bunch of new gods and the way that they worship. Don't do that. So I'm the, the God in the middle right here. This is the one. The words that I'm giving you, this is not, not what you used to do, not something new that comes down the pike. What I'm declaring right now is what your life is. This is your culture. This is your pattern. And it's interesting that he warns them, don't, don't do the things in the past and, and be careful of the things that are new. And I think that's important for us as Christians. Because how many times do we find ourselves doing things because it's what? It's the way my parents did things. I find myself doing, well, it's the way everybody else is doing things. But it's not doing things the way that everybody else does. It's not doing, so here's a new thing. Let's all try this. And I'll be honest with you, there's all kinds of new programs, new self-help, new ideas to say, hey, put this into your life. To be honest with you, some of them may be in line with Scripture. But be careful that you're not pursuing those things, but you're pursuing Scripture. And let Scripture and the Spirit of God show you what things that you should be doing. And I think it's so important to recognize what God is declaring here in this commandment. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And then he says this, out of the house of bondage. You were a slave in Egypt. You were in bondage. And I freed you. I am the one who delivered you. And, and keep in mind that not only did I deliver you, but only in me will you continue to have deliverance. It's absolutely amazing to see what God is trying to tell the children in the very first commandment. I am the Lord your God, period. This is who I am. I brought you out of Egypt, not their gods. I'm bringing you into Canaan, but not their gods. I right now am your God. And, and he says this, out of the house of bondage. God showed all of his children of Israel, I can take on an entire nation. Egypt was a powerhouse of that time. And God just wiped it out. Keep in mind that, that Israel didn't even have to lift up a sword. All they had to do was what? Wait for Egypt to say, please leave. And, and by the way, let's give you gold and silver and money, you know, 430 years of back pay. And then as they were going out there, all of a sudden, Pharaoh and his armies follow. And what do they do? He doesn't say, get out your swords, get out your spirits. He doesn't do that. He says, hey, just walk through the water. Just, just, just walk through the Red Sea. 
And there was Moses. He was crying out, Lord, what do we do? God said, just walk across. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? And I love the heart of what God is saying because it's so important that he says, I delivered you from bondage. And here's the crazy thing. Israel was in bondage. It talked about this of Egypt. They were their taskmasters. And whatever Egypt said, they didn't have a choice. Remember when Moses was going through and saying, hey, oh, you know what? I let my people go. He says, oh, you know what? You guys have too much time on your hands. Way too much time. What I'm going to do is this. Because you seem to have so much time on your hands, not only are you going to still have to make your same quota of bricks, but you're going to have to gather your own straw. Now you got to do your straw. And they can say, no, 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 we won't do that. No, you have to do that. You don't get a choice. They are your taskmasters. What they say, you are in bondage to them. You don't get a choice. And here's what's crazy. That as you were going through the wilderness, there were multiple, multiple times they wanted to go back. Oh, remember Egypt? How wonderful it was. We had leeks and onions. Yes, and you had whips. And you cried out to God because of the oppression, but all you remember is the good. And I think it's important when we see here, and I, I think it's so important to recognize that he is the king of kings. He is the only authority. And it's important that when we recognize that, yes, Lord, you are this king of kings, and the Lord shall be king of kings over all the earth. And this is important. Now, remember when Jesus was coming back. Now, in Revelation 19, verse 16, it declares what? He's king of kings and lord of lords. This is who he is. And I think it's important that when we do acknowledge him as king, we do acknowledge him as lord, that we come to this point of just surrendering those things over. Be careful that, that you don't, in your own mindset, thinking, you know what? This new thought that I have, I have authority in my life to say, let's check this out. Only if the word of God leads you, do you check those things out. And this is why be careful what's in the past. Be careful what, what's new coming down the pike. Because there's one thing that's true. And that is here the word of God. In Exodus chapter 34... I want to read you a couple of verses. I want to start in verse 10, read through 17, but I want to focus on verse 14 because that's the key. But in Exodus 34, verse 10, as Moses brings these new tablets to God, it declares this, and he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. God said, I want them to see my glory. I want them to see my holiness. I want them to see my power as they look at you. He says in verse 11, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed, verse 12, to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare to you. Don't do this new thing that you think, wow, let's check this out. 
Verse 13, but you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship, verse 14, no other God. For the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. And I think it's important to understand that God says, I'm jealous for you. I'm passionate for you. I love you. But be careful. Don't spit on my love. Don't, don't neglect, you know, what I've promised you. And, and what happens is this, is Satan constantly wants us to do it. Take our eyes off the Lord. You don't have to worship him completely. Remember what Satan did even to Jesus Christ there in Matthew where in, in, in chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, Satan said, listen, you, you want the world? You want to redeem the world? I tell you, I'll give you the world. You can have it all. All you have to do is what? Bow down and worship me. That's all you have to do. You give me that authority. You give me that, that adoration. I will give you everything else. And Jesus said what? Oh, Satan. Oh, no way. You shall worship the Lord your God only, and only him shall you serve. It's important to realize that the enemy constantly wants us to reject that authority. And not only does the enemy want us to reject the authority, but often we ourselves want to reject that authority. Two passages to jot down. I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 19. And I want to read from verses 12 to 14. But Jesus is giving this parable. And as he gives this parable, he makes this statement. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered, them, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come, verse 14. But his citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Jesus comes to say, hey, this is my world. He came as that lamb, but he came no, no less. He was still the king. He's always been the king of kings, will always be the king of kings. And as he came the first time as the suffering servant, don't make a mistake, he was the king. Remember, the wise men, we came to worship him who was what? Born king of the Jews. Paul says, are you a king? Yep. For this reason I was born. For this reason I'm here. And it's interesting that there, as he gives this parable, he said, we will not have this man to reign over us. That was actually fulfilled in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 14 through 16. Let me read those to you. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, this is Pilate, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Now the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Isn't it amazing they reject his authority? I, we have no king. We have Caesar as our king. And this is important to realize that what the enemy wants us to do is this. 
Not in every area, but maybe he allows you in one area to say, listen, you allow Jesus to be king here, 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 but in this one area, you don't have to give him authority. In this one area, you can make your own choices. You, you can do that, and then you can make whatever choice you want and then just stand on the grace of God. Isn't that what the enemy does? You don't have to allow him to reign in this. You don't have to allow his word to be authority in this. You can, you can twist it. You can manipulate it. You can think that you're an exception here, but there's never an exception to the word of God. There's never an exception to the authority that he declares is his. But what's important to see is this. Along with Zechariah saying, the Lord shall be king over all the earth, he makes this statement, in that day it shall be the Lord is one. The Lord is one. In other words, in, in recognition and the worship of men, he is one. There is no other recognition of anything else except God. And, and a beautiful thing that we begin to see here, remember that passage that we read there in Zechariah, chapter 13, the first two verses. And it declared this, in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David. In other words, the, 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 the fount of living water that flows there through Jerusalem. But in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. Verse 2, it shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they should no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. I love this. You won't even remember the idols. Isn't that amazing when you recognize Jesus as king and, and he becomes the fulfillment of your focus, you don't look back and say, oh, but what about this and what about that? It's when he's not king and you're not looking to him as being authority, then you try to say, where did I used to have fun? Where did I used to hang out? And then you go back to those things where you were in bondage to. And you forget of what? Of all the pain that that bondage brought. Now, keep in mind that sin is pleasurable for a moment, but then what? But then you try to get out of it and you realize, wait a second, I don't have a hold of it. It has a hold of me. And this is that heart that he wants us to avoid. He says, you're not even going to remember it. You're going to be so focused on the Lord that it's not going to be... What was that again that I did? No, I, I just worship him. My life is given over to his word. My life is given over to his authority and to his direction. That's all I want. But see, when that's not enough, when that's not your focus, then you begin to look at, is there something new? Is there something old? Is there something else I can do besides what the word is saying? Because for whatever reason, I'm not finding my joy in this. I'm not finding the joy in having him sanctify my life. I need something else. And it's not a pursuit of holiness that we pursue. But it's a pursuit of I want happiness. And, and, and keep in mind that when you boil down sin, we said it's pleasurable for a moment, it's pleasurable for a season, but in the end it's death. 
And every time that we pursue something, no matter what it is, remember the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is known as the preacher. And he sought after one thing, after another thing, after another, and whatever he wanted, because he could. He could pursue anything he wanted. He pursued knowledge. And he gained as much knowledge as he could. And then when he got as much knowledge, he said, it's vanity. It's, it's empty. It's weightless. It's, it doesn't hold any water. And he pursued pleasure, and then he pursued mirth, and then he pursued all entertainment, and all of these things that he wanted. He pursued and then when he got to the fulfillment of all these, and it's empty. At the very end of the book, he writes this. There's only one thing, one thing. Oh, love God, keep his commandments. Pursue him. And I'll tell you what, when you're pursuing him, you will never reach the final goal. The more you try to walk in holiness, the more you realize how wretched our heart is. And you can never but you can always do what? You can allow him to sanctify you and allow him to sanctify you, allow him to sanctify you. And it's a daily process of going deeper with the Lord and having him work those things out on you. But I want you to realize that these idols will no longer be remembered. As you pursue God, these other things just are no longer a part of who you are anymore. No longer a part of your thinking. It's amazing that there are certain things God just simply takes away. Just simply takes away. Things that you used to do, things that you no longer want to do, things that you repented of, and God says, I'm going to simply take that from your life. And it's gone. But there's other things that what? There's other things like, Lord, I don't want that in my life. Can you make that gone too? I don't want to remember that. I don't want to have that on my focus. He says, well, what you can do is this. As you zero in on me, none of these other things are going to catch your attention. As you focus on me, you're going to see these things fade. And that's, I think, is the beauty of the word of God. That's the beauty of the worship of God. That's the beauty of recognizing, Lord, you are authority. Now, what happens is this. I want to read to you just a couple of passages in the book of Isaiah. Just jot them down as I go through. If you're fast enough, you can start turning to the book of Isaiah chapter 37. And the first one I'm going to read is verse 16. Now they will, for the most part, repeat itself, repeat itself, repeat itself. But I want to see you how intense Isaiah makes these statements about God and how it says here, you know what? In that day, it shall be the Lord is one. In that day... He and he alone is going to be the recognition of worship. Because in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 16, it says this, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. You understand? Only you're God. There's no other God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made the heaven and the earth. Only you are God. Now, isn't that the commandment? I'm God. Don't have another one. There's only one. I'm not a God. You're not a God. You can't assume authority in your life. God is God. And there's only one. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, or 46, or 44, Isaiah, chapter 44, verses 6 through 8, he makes this declaration. Thus says the Lord 
the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Only me. I'm the first, I'm the last, there isn't one in between. Let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from the time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there another God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. This is the heart. Isaiah chapter 45. I want to read verses 5 and 6 and then jump over to 21. But Isaiah 45 verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Are you seeing a pattern here? This is so important to recognize. Now, in verse 21 of Isaiah 45, it makes this declaration. Tell and bring forth your case and let them take counsel together who is declared from this ancient time, who has told it from that time. Have not I, said the Lord, and there is no other God beside me. A just God and Savior, there is none beside me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. It's incredible how God over and over is trying to just clue us in to say, there's just one. There's just one king, one authority, one God. And, and what's amazing is this, is that there's going to be a recognition of worship that it is only one God. There's not multiple gods. There's not multiple ways to heaven. There's one God and one alone. He makes this statement in Isaiah chapter 46. Verse 9, he says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. It's important to realize that eventually the world is going to come to an understanding like Zechariah is making this declaration that it's, it's going to be where it says this, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one. There's only one God. There's only one. There's not another. Only the Lord is recognized as authority. Only the Lord is recognized as being a God that is to be worshipped. And there, there's no other God. There, there's not a secondary God. There's only the one. And it's also important to recognize that when he says that I am one, I don't know if you've remembered that passage that sometimes we look to in Deuteronomy where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. We call it the Shema. And it has this same thing, the Lord is one, Yahweh Echad. And, and, and so as we look to this, it means it's a compound unity. God is the one thing the focus of God is the one thing 
The focus of God being authority is the one thing that unites all people. What's crazy is we all probably come from different backgrounds. We have different things that we grew up. But the amazing thing is we're all here to do one thing. Exalt and worship the name of Jesus Christ. We're here this morning just to do that, to focus on the Lord, to exalt Jesus, to worship him, to learn more about him, to have him speak to our hearts about what his authority is in our lives. I want this, Lord. Isn't that incredible how he's the one thing that unites us? And this is what we begin to see here. It's the heart of God, and he is the one that unites, no matter what you have different. When we come to this place, it's all focusing on Jesus. He's, he's single. There's only one. And it's important to realize that God is the one thing that brings unity. You know why there's so much division? Because we're all looking to what? I'm my God, you're your God, we all have our own gods. And whatever we want to be an authority, whatever we want to be the truth, we, we can find a source for that truth. We can find a source for that authority. But when we all come and we surrender to this word, then all of a sudden, what? All those other things, those voices become distant. Those voices become whispers. This shouts to us. And as we look to this, I think it's so important to realize just how God binds things that are destroyed back together. And no matter how torn asunder it is, I want to share with you that God can put it back together. I've seen marriages that are destroyed. And what does God do? He says, if you focus on me, if you guys focus on me, I will put this back together. God can do that. It doesn't make a difference how separate it is. I want to share with you a passage in, in Ezekiel chapter 37. Because there is one thing that was ripped asunder, and we know that it was truly ripped asunder, and that was Israel itself. When Solomon's son came on the throne... He was just a jerk. He said, you know what, my, my father, he, he put a burden, I'm going to put a bigger burden on you. I, I'm going to show you I am so tough. And then 10 of the tribes says, listen, we're not even going to be a part of you, Rehoboam. We're out of here. And they left. They just left. So rather than having the 12 tribes, he stuck with two. And then you have these northern 10 tribes called Israel, the southern two tribes called Judah. Assyria came and took the, the, the ten tribes because they were just caught up in idolatry. And they were no more. They were scattered to the winds. And God still had Judah. And they eventually just took Judah out too to Babylon. And then they were scattered. But this is what God says in Ezekiel chapter 37. I want to start reading in verse 15. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel and his companions, then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for the house of Israel and his companions. So I, two sticks, southern Israel, northern Israel, two separate sticks, two separate identities. Verse 17, he says, then join them one to another for yourself into one stick, and they shall become one in your hand. Two separate sticks that God says, I'm going I'm to make them one. And when the children of your people speak, saying, will you 
not show us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel and his companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand, and the sticks in which you write will be in the hands before their eyes. And then say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and I will give them from, I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountain of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. Do you understand what happens when Jesus is king of kings? One king is going to unite them to say, yes, you are now one people. You are my people. You are my brethren. And this is what he does. And this is why you can have these two separate identities become one. And it has to take place with this. I will make them one, he says, and they shall no longer be two and I think it's important because what happens is this, and one king shall be king over them. When, when we recognize Jesus' authority, there's nothing that divides us. It's like, you're, you're the master. You're the king. What do you have for us? And this is the heart that we begin to see. And it's so important to recognize, God, I know this is you. You are. As, as, as it makes this statement, the, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day, it shall be the Lord is one, which is just basically there is no other God. He brings unity. He brings one. Everything is one under him. I don't care how divided you are like northern Israel, southern. Under him, everything's one. He becomes just one. We're all knit to him. But then it says this, and his name one. Out of all the things in this passage, all the things in this verse, this excites me the most. Because his name is going to be one. In other words, that he, this name is going to be the only recognized name of authority. Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 4. And as he was preaching in Acts chapter 4, I want to read a couple of verses to you. I want to start reading in verse 8. I want to read down to verse 12. Now, as Peter is, is ministering here, it says this, Acts 4, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This 
is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And then he says this in verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is going to be no one in the world that will say, you can get to God this way. <laughs> the whole world is going to be united to one thing. There is a king over all the earth. He is the absolute authority. Nothing else will come in his place. His word is now my culture, my life, my, my pattern for being. And then there's only one name, one name that is exalted, one name that is above all names. It is the name of Jesus Christ. And I love the heart of it because as Peter is coming, he says, there is salvation in, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no under name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is glorious. The whole world will recognize that you don't come to God by works. You, don't come, you come through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And every single being on the earth recognizes there's going to be a day. And this is so glorious that in that day it shall be that God is recognized as the only authority and his name is recognized as the only authority. There is one name, one exaltation. Only one name is recognized. It's the name of Jesus Christ. And such a beautiful thing that we begin to see here. And this is what, what we get to stand on. Now, I want you to realize right now, you go into the world and they don't want to hear that name. They, they don't want to hear it. But know this. There is going to be a time. And this is going to be a glorious time where the whole world will one day recognize that you are following the king, that you already know the name and it's already authority in your life. And, and what's going to happen is this, that they're going to have to play catch up. You're already there. This is that victory that we have through the person of Jesus Christ. And this is where I love this passage in, in Zechariah because it so brings us to what? This is our end. This is the end. Where the whole world will finally realize what we realize. There is one king overall. One king. The king of kings. And there is, is one authority. One God. And, and, and I'm not it. And you're not it. And they're not it. And one authority. And it's only God and his word. And, and the access that we have. The worship that we declare is. Jesus it's all about you. It has always been about you. From the beginning to the end, what does is, what is Hebrews say? In the volume of the book, it was written of me to do your will, O God. It's always been about this name. Yahweh is salvation. Yeshua, Jesus. Let us come to this point of saying, you know what? I want my life to be a single focus. As much as the Spirit guides me and His Word directs me, I want my life to be a single focus. And I love what we do 
Because we go through the Old Testament, we go through the New Testament, and amazingly is this, when we're in the Old Testament, we look at, oh, hey, guess what? This is a shadow, a type of what Jesus does. And when we're in the New Testament, we say, hey, look back at what Jesus did. And all these things encourage us to do one, keep our eyes set on him. Because when we take our eyes off and we put it on the wind and the waves, we are like Peter, we begin to sink. But here's the glorious thing. When you begin to sink, it's as simple as saying, Lord, save me. Get your eyes and your mind back to what? Who saves? God is the one. I'm the one who's delivered you. I'm the one who saved you. And save me again, Lord. Save me again. I took my eyes off you again. Not, Not save as in salvation, but pull me out of this pit again. Quicken my heart. Change my heart. Soften my heart. Allow your word to become authority. Change this. Sanctify me again and again and again. Every day, draw me closer to you. May that be our heart as we continue to worship. Amen? Amen. Father, we are so grateful. We are so, so grateful that the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Oh, you shall be authority. And that day it shall be the Lord is one. You will be the only recognized God. You'll be the only one who's recognized as authority. And Jesus, you and only you will be known as the access. They won't come through works. They won't come through false gods. They will only, none of them will even be remembered. They will only have your name upon their lips. What a glorious day that will be where on the lips of every man, woman, and child will be your name, Jesus this name that is above all names. Thank you, Lord, that we proclaim him now. Not only with the, with the fruit of our lips, but we proclaim him with the, the, the fruit of our lives. Jesus, that you are Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords, and, and you have that authority. Continue to knit our hearts to your word, to your heart, to your mind, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen. amen. Well, saints,